Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to share with you my interview with Genevieve Walker, who is a violinist and composer who grew up in a musical household. The sound of a violin tuning was the sound of home. She lived in a classical music world for many years, and then as a young adult, her interest took her traveling the world. She was influenced by different cultures and approaches to music and began weaving these influences into her playing. Having toured internationally as a violinist, Genevieve has seen the world through the perspective of the stage. Perhaps what she is most known for is her longtime accompaniment of Krishna Das, who she has recorded and performed with extensively. Genevieve composed her first solo album, Walking Home, when she was pregnant with her first son. Two kids and some life later, she has completed her second solo album, Home Songs. This album is a shift in her orientation, drawing upon the sounds and melodies of everyday life to express a collective ode to the longing and cultivation of home. Home Songs is a musical exploration of finding home and the people that we love. In addition to being a violinist, Genevieve is a certified yoga teacher and a licensed psychotherapist. She views her approach to these disciplines as a way to unwind deeper into ourselves and untie the home that exists within us all. This was such a fun interview to have because we talked about what it's like to have a long-term relationship with an instrument and her journey to playing the violin. Um, We also talked about this idea of home and what that means to her and how motherhood has influenced her, her music. We talked about how she came to meet Krishnadas and play with him, which is a funny story you won't want to miss. And we also talked about what it means to Genevieve to live in your purpose. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we jump in, I want to make sure you know that you can sign up for a personalized money karma analysis with me and that this is a super limited offer. It's more than half sold out at the time of recording. And this offering looks in depth at your potential around earning, saving and overall success and gives you remedies for the blocks that I see. So you'll also have the chance to ask a few questions ahead of time about money or business success so that I make sure to address your specific needs. This is a limited offer because you'll also get free access to my upcoming course called Cosmic Cash Flow, which will be out next month and helps you with practical tools for managing your money, plus support working on limiting beliefs, keeping your earnings stuck at the current level. This is the first time I'll be offering these tools outside my higher price programs and getting your analysis now will save you a lot of money. So the link is in the show notes to learn more about that and they are available until they are sold out. Now on to our interview with Genevieve Walker. Hello, Genevieve. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paula. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you here. It's been something I've wanted to do for a while is share your beautiful music and also just be in conversation. And like, maybe we can start with your journey to starting to play the violin, because that's what you're really known for. And I think it's, it's just always interesting to find out how people come to do what they do. 
Okay, yeah, I'm happy to share that with you. So my father plays violin, and so it was always in our house. And I was given a choice probably when I was around four and a half or five if I wanted to play the violin or the piano. And I wanted to play the violin. I also had a neighbor two houses away who was a teenager. Her name was Nicole and she played the violin. I loved her. And so I was inspired by her as well. And probably around that age, I went to one of her concerts and she was playing a solo and I was like, I want to do that. So I had that seed of inspiration, I think from her. And then I had my dad there encouraging me and, you know, and then I started lessons and he was there kind of helping me have the structure to practice. Because what I've come to see as now I'm a mother and I'm teaching my kids violin, there's a lot of involvement from the parent to make that happen. And so my dad was the one who was there and um, encouraging me with it. It's so interesting because, you know, they talk about the the father being the first guru, like in India. Right. Right. You know, and it's that's how things are handed down in the musical tradition in India as well as like the parents teach the kids and the kids, you know, teach. That's right. My dad didn't teach me. He got me my first teacher, which was actually my neighbor. So she taught me when I was probably five. But he was still like he was that force. Absolutely. And I'm teaching my kids because that was one of my COVID projects was teaching them violin. What is it like to have such a long-term relationship with an instrument? It's kind of amazing. I mean, honestly, I don't really remember not playing. And it's become, in a way, my voice, my way of expressing myself. And if I don't play for a period of time, I really feel it because it's like it's it's like not being able to express or have that outlet. I feel like it's really integrated into me. It's like a friendship in a way. But I, as I started as a young child, you know, four or five, I was pretty steeped in the classical music world, and which can be really rigorous. And then when I was a teenager, I also had this real, in a way, passion or curiosity about travel. And I was, there were other things I was interested in as well. And so I sort of diverged from the classical music world at a certain point when I was in my probably around 17 or 18 and started to travel and then was trying to figure out how to integrate it. It's super fascinating because you let me look at your chart ahead of our session here, our our connection call. So I was looking and you were born during your Rahu period. And now that you're saying that, I want to go back and see when that ended because the next period after that is Jupiter. Oh, so you went into Jupiter pretty quickly around age six. We're in it until 21. But Jupiter is that expansive curiosity, like wanting to go see the world, you know, and it's in your seventh house. So it's aspecting onto your personality, you know, so it has this kind of like expand and get bigger and try to find a new path, right? And even like a spiritual path. I know your latest album is called Home Songs. And when we talked a little while ago, you told me the idea of home has been a preoccupation for you. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. It's so interesting to hear your reflections on my chart in those times in my life, because that feels very accurate. That idea of home, I've approached it from many different angles. And I think it really started when I was a teenager, like there was a seeking and a longing in me for something that was somewhat indescribable, like it was more a feeling I think I was looking for. And so my spiritual seeking and journey, I think I was looking for 
that feeling. And so that took me all kinds of places. I've approached that idea of looking from home for from the angle also of like trying to find that perfect place, you know, the physical place of like what home could look like or, or where it could be. And then more the spiritual angle, which was looking for a particular feeling, I think, in the body of what home is. And this album of mine was an attempt or an exploration of like this idea of finding home, not so much in like as a physical place or even, but actually finding home more relationally, meaning that the idea I think behind it was that home in a sense is like when we're actually living within the love in our own hearts. And that could be said in all kinds of different ways, but that through relationships and through the love that we have for other people, this idea that we can access that love within our own hearts in that way. My framing of this album was to look like I dedicated songs to different people in my life, I, to, to both my sons, to my husband, to my parents. And just again, it's, it's really this idea of exploring that love. That idea of home is made out of that love that we have for the people in our lives. It's one of the angles of home. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And your last album sort of explored that too. So how was that different? Well, my last album I made when I was pregnant with my first son. And so I had had this idea for a while where I traveled so much and I loved collecting sounds from different places in the world. And it was this idea of weaving sounds from different locations into songs. And it was really more this idea of like walking home, like walking to try to find home. And so in a way, that album was much more about like a traveler's journey to try to find home. As you can see, I'm trying to like get it, get it from all angles. Yeah. And it's fascinating because when I talked to you, I was like, I bet you have Rahu in the fourth. <laughs> yes. And right? I do, right? You do. You, you did yeah. say that. Yeah. Yeah. Because this Rahu is this planet of craving, like to try to find out or figure out there's like a drive towards something, you know? And so when you told me that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense to have Rahu in the fourth because that's our house of home. The fourth is the house of the mother, the emotions, the deep held, you know, it's the darkest place in the sky. So it's like those kind of ancestral lineage ties and stuff that's beyond the conscious and maybe even the subconscious, you know, it's deep, right? And so that sense of home that you're describing, it's like beyond anything that can be actually felt in the material or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like the Rahu kind of drives that craving for understanding something deeper. Yes, that really resonates with me. Yeah, and it's powerful. <laughs> yeah, it feels powerful, yes. So I'm curious about, you know, you you mentioned your children and how you're you're teaching them. So how does how do you balance creativity and motherhood and how has motherhood influenced you musically? That's a great question. Um when I first became a mother, I had the experience of realizing I had very little time all of a sudden to be creative. <laughs> And I think I didn't really understand that before I stepped into it, that I would be so consumed, really. That idea of having like time to practice violin every day or time to meditate or time to do whatever, that, that really got, it got shook up. <laughs> 
And actually during that time when I, children were yet really young, like babies, that's when like chanting is such a great practice because you can actually do it like all the time, whatever you're doing, you know, if you're taking your baby for a walk or trying to put them to sleep, you can always be chanting. So that was really helpful. But in terms of creativity, I, and I also felt at the same time, like not having a lot of time for it, but also feeling such a need for it because actually there was so much going on in my life. And there was this feeling like I also had that need to express. And I think that also ties into what we were talking about before about that I've had this very long relationship with the violin. And so feeling like if I didn't have that way of expressing that there was something that was missing for me. I think what was really helpful was I was able to start composing at that time. And the way it really began was like holding my babies and singing melodies to them that came to me. And then I took those melodies. And when I did find time, I started to grow those melodies and turn them into something. In a way, that's how I found my balance, I guess, between motherhood and creativity was really in the cracks in between, you know, like whenever there was a moment or I remember when my first son was really young. And again, I was trying to figure out like, how do I do this? Like, how do I create music and have a baby and do all this at the same time? And I had like him in one of those bouncy chairs. I don't know if you've seen that. And I would bounce it with my foot. And then I'd play the harmonium with my other hand, you know, Um, or with my hand and be bouncing him with my foot and be able to sing. And before that, I was really mostly like the violin was mostly my thing. And then it still is. But I started to play the harmonium more because it was actually a little easier to do Mm. when I had really young babies. So on this album, there's there's other instruments like piano. Are you playing all the different instruments that are on there? I'm playing the piano, I'm playing the violin, I'm playing the viola, and I use my voice on the on the album as well. And then the producer, Chris Gartner, he's playing bass, and he does some of the like atmospheric sounds that you hear on the album as well. And then Noah Holfield, who plays cello. And then I had another friend play French horn, Chris Seligman, and Steve Gorn plays Bunsuri flute. Yeah, it's really eclectic. And I've been listening to it so much, like when I'm cooking or... You know, just it has a mood to it. So I highly recommend everybody listen. Thank you to the album. Like the way that I met you was through your playing with Krishna Das. I kind of know the story, but I would love for you to tell the story of how you started playing with him. Because at that point, you've been playing with him for a while, right? And and at that point, he was he was pretty well known. So what what happened? Tell us. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm happy to tell the story. So kind of leaving off where we were, where I was saying that, you know, when I was a teenager, I had that split a little bit where I, and I think you were relating that to Jupiter. Is that right? Something happening? Yeah. So that period of time did involve a lot of travel for me. And I ended up in India, which is where I had a really deep longing to go to. So I ended up in India when I was 19, I think. And that was the first time like being there, I heard Bajan and I heard Kirtan. And that was the first time I really had that experience of hearing music with the the spiritual. I mean, I think, let me correct myself because I feel like there's a lot of classical music where I felt that sacredness, like Bach, for example. But this was um, a different example of it. So I felt really moved by it. And I was like, totally lit up, like when I heard that expression of music and music used in that way. And then 
life took me to, I was playing with a band and we were traveling and we did a tour in Australia. And then we, we ended up in Hawaii. We had some shows in Hawaii. And when I arrived in Hawaii, I was like, okay, I'm staying here. I don't want to go. I fell in love with it. So, and I did spend a lot of time in Hawaii. This was now in my early 20s. And during that period of time, what had also happened is I had someone very close to me, the boyfriend I had at the time, and he actually tragically died in India. So I had a lot of stuff going on and a lot of pain and a lot of darkness really that I was trying to work through. And I felt very lost actually in many ways. And when I was in Hawaii, right after that experience, I was in a bookstore and I found Krishnadas's, at that time it was a tape of Pilgrim Heart. And it has a picture of Maharaji on the cover of it. And I thought that that was Krishnadas. Like, I didn't know. I just saw this picture, but I was drawn to it. So I bought the cassette (laughs) and I took it to where I was staying. And I had like a little Walkman that I'd bought in Hong Kong. And I put the cassette in of Pilgrim Heart and I listened to it over and over and over and over again. And I didn't really know why I was doing that. But what I did observe is that when I listened to it, I just felt better. And so I kept listening to it. And then fast forward, I mean, there was a lot that happened in between. Like I didn't stay in Hawaii. I was kind of going back and forth. But a couple of years after that, I was studying yoga in Hawaii with Eddie and Nikki. I, I think you might know them, Eddie Nikki Doan and Eddie Malastini and um, and Krishnadas was coming and he was coming to do a retreat at their yoga studio. And, you know, at, at that point I knew who Krishnadas was. I'd been listening to that album and other albums a lot and I want to play with him. And I was very shy <laughs> and he came and I somehow got it together to ask him. And I said, can I play with you? I play the violin. And he was very kind to me, you know, and he said, sure, sure. Why don't you sit in and, and play? And, and so I did. And I was, again, I was quite nervous and played very little, you know, I sat there and I played a little bit and he was like, oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And he invited me to keep playing while he was there during the retreat. It was after that. So I played with him a little bit there. We ended up both being in Toronto, which is where I'm from. And the Dalai Lama was doing a Kali Chakra initiation there. So I went back for that. And Krishnadas was also there. And I saw that he was going to be playing a, a yoga studio there. So I said, oh, you're, I see you're playing at the studio. Can I come play with you? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You can come play. And at that point, according to Krishnadas, because we've <laughs> talked about this story, like he didn't, he wasn't even really sure I could play. Like he just knew that I didn't play out of tune. You know? <laughs> he wasn't really sure. And when I played at that yoga studio with him, my parents came and my mother, who is fine bragging about her children, talked to Krishna Das, <laughs> was telling him about my, my story as a violin player. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, you can actually really play this thing, you know, because my mom was talking about recitals and this and that. And he said to me, he's like, you better really fucking play that thing. <laughs> And that was the beginning. And then I actually really played. And so it started in Hawaii, but that's in a way where something kind of dropped in. And then he welcomed me to play with him, which was really wonderful. Yeah. And everybody should, you know, check out the albums where you play. It's just so beautiful. And, you know, it's actually traditional, right? In India, they do have violin players that play in kirtan. Yeah, that's so nice. I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the 
you know, the difference between playing with Kirtana and composing or playing, you know, classical music, how those things differ for you and the experience? Yeah, well, it is quite different. And when I was, you know, when I'd come from the classical music world, which was predominantly like reading music and you read music, it's, you know, the way I interpret it is almost like you're storytelling, like you're reading a story that's been written. And then, of course, you play it with your own interpretation of it. So it involves you, but it's also the telling of something that someone has written. And when I first went to India on that trip and I heard, you know, I was staying in an ashram and there was kirtan and, and I was like mesmerized by it. But I didn't really know how you just play an instrument. Like, how do you just play like without seeing the music? And and so I would actually hear the bhajan or the, I mean, whatever was being sung at the ashram and I'd go back to my room and I'd write all the music out. Oh, <laughs> Because somehow I couldn't figure it out unless I could have that step of really seeing it. And so I have these old notebooks of mine from that period of time where I have all this music written out. And then actually, I think it was when I was playing with that band where I started to get the idea. Like if you just are able to somehow get yourself out of the way that there's a way that the music can come through you. And you can abandon that step of like needing to see something written. And so that's a lot about that is my experience in a way playing with Krishnadas is like, I'm not seeing the music anymore. But there's this way that I feel like if I can just get myself out of the way, a certain aspect of myself, that the music is able to come through me and my fingers somehow know the way. When I think about it too much is usually when I get in trouble. That's how I approach it. And so it is different. It's almost like uh, getting to know the instrument in a different way. And then composing is something different also. Yeah. It's that idea of sort of catching something, like catching a melody that you hear. And for me, a lot of those melodies that come to me through, like humming them to my children or something like that, and then embellishing them and growing them and involving other instruments. And so there's a... um a whole process with that. And it's a very exciting process. Like I feel kind of with the muse when I'm doing it. Mm, it's so interesting to me is as you're talking, Saturn is the planet that constricts, right? And that idea of like needing the music is, you know, Saturn's aspecting your first house. So this it's kind of with you, this idea of like, first of all, mastery, that's the beauty of Saturn is like really refining and becoming a master, but also understanding through the thing that is where we get stuck, how to like reopen the portal for ourselves, you know? And so it's like, you kind of described that and you were in your Saturn period. That's why it's relevant. So my teacher's teacher always said the best way to like move through a bundle of karma. <laughs> he didn't say it exactly like this. I'm paraphrasing, but is to go through a Rahu period, a Jupiter period, and then a Saturn period. And now you've done that and you're in your Mercury period. And like the composing piece, it seems like it may have come in around that time. I think you know, right. yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's like you went through that refinement of understanding like how to work with sound and in, in outside of the box kind of way, and then you were like, "Oh wait, I can capture and make my own." Right. <laughs> so it's like the story of that planetary experience. That's really beautiful. That makes a lot of sense. And I think along the lines of what you're saying, I think the composing piece for me was. Also, in a way, like bringing back a lot of the what I had learned in the classical music world in some in some form. 
I think this is a good moment to talk about this project you've been working on to write melodies for the 21 Tara mantras with Nina Rao and Chandra Easton. Would you be willing to tell us a little bit about this project? Yes, I would be delighted. I think it was around five years ago, we were all at Tara Mandala together, including yeah, you. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> you were there. And I was there playing with Krishna Das. Chandra was there because she spends a lot of time there. And Nina was there as well with Krishna Das. I had wanted to go to Tara Mandala for a long time, and I was really happy to be there and very inspired walking into that temple and seeing all of the 21 Tara. And so, and all the 21 Taras have different mantras. And I felt like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to actually compose music for all of the 21 Taras? Nina had a similar idea and Chandra had had that idea. And so in a way, the seed was really planted at that time. It took us kind of like a couple of years through conversation to kind of really land on the idea of like, okay, we're doing this together. And since then, we've worked on that, which has been really wonderful. Um, I mean, wonderful to work with Chandra and Nina and to work on composing melodies to support the mantras of the 21 Taras. So it's been over time and COVID happened in the midst of this. So we did meet at Menla a couple of years ago and really like had a very condensed time of working on the melodies. And I've composed some of the melodies, Nina's composed some of the melodies, Chandra's composed some of the melodies. And then our hope is to record it this year in 2023 or this coming year and have it out in the world as a way for people to, I think, on, in, on one hand, to kind of get to know the Taras more and then to have the music there to support the mantra. And so in some ways, I think having music there is a is a way into the mantra. Definitely. I mean, I do Vedic chanting now, but I my introduction was also Krishna Das, you know, so... And which I still love and I still listen to all the time. But like, there's something about having a melody that just really gets the mantra to flow in you in a different way. So that's really Yeah. And I have like a deep respect for for Vedic chanting as well. Maybe for like the Western kind of setup, there's something really about having the melody as well. And, you know, Krishnadas says like, oh, the the music is the syrup and the mantra is the medicine. And I, I like that. And I think of that. We're making some syrup for the... <laughs> 21 Tara, Taras and their mantras. Beautiful. Well, that's something for people to look out for. So I wanted to ask you as well, because you're also a psychotherapist, in addition to all the other things that you do, how do music and creativity support mental health? Do you think these two things kind of go together in any way? I think they can. I mean, I think music, which I know best in terms of creativity, but I mean, it's a, it can be a, a great outlet and a great sort of venue for being able to express oneself and express all the emotions, not necessarily having to have the story there, but just having, being able to be expressive, which I think is very therapeutic to be able to have a way to express oneself. I also think like being creative is a way that we can feel really connected because when we are creative, in a way, we are the creator. Like we're, it's in some ways a non dual experience by creating. That connection can be really helpful to be in touch with. At the same time, I, I don't think creativity and music are everything because otherwise, you know, all musicians would be enlightened and that's not the case. <laughs> in fact, a lot of musicians really struggle with issues with mental health. And I think that can be in part, because I have reflected on it, that there can be a 
way that one can feel really liberated in the music and like there's this whole world and then there can feel like there's quite a chasm in a way between that world of feeling where you can express yourself and have a certain kind of freedom and then daily life when that chasm feels quite large then it can be very difficult actually so i think that psychotherapy music creativity can all work really well together and can help integrate the creative into the everyday super interesting because as you're talking i was thinking like i have a hanuman behind me <laughs> there's this thing about having an anchor of like a form to have the spirituality in and and the instruments not an anchor the music's kind of this vast thing and it's said that in india there's the reason that these deities exist is so that they help us have a mediation point between that and the bigger the big music so to yeah, speak yeah i know? love that yeah yeah that makes so that makes a lot of sense yes yeah i mean i think it can be a fine line where music can be again very ethereal and it can also have that expansive quality there's also a way and here i'm not talking about like chanting but there's also a way that in music you can escape into it as well and so understanding like well what is escaping and what is like giving oneself that expansive feeling so i'm curious the theme of this podcast is really living in your purpose i'm wondering what you would say it means to live in your purpose I love that question. <laughs> that if you're really at home in yourself, that whatever you do can be your purpose. So I don't know that I see purpose as something singular, but that if you're really present, that going to the grocery store, or putting your kids to bed or folding laundry, like that can all be part of your purpose at the same time. So I I feel like we we have multiple purposes, but at the same time i can say that the feeling that i have when i am playing music there's a a way that i can feel very embodied and at the same time feel like something is coming through me and that allows me to feel like very alive in a way i can feel very alive in those moments and that's not all the time like it's not every time i pick up the violin you know but i can have those experiences and that lets me feel like i'm doing something that i am meant to be doing so there's a way that feels like part and a big part of my purpose but at this point in my life with two young kids like my purpose feels very horizontal <laughs> i've got a lot of things that take my attention and my goal is to be able to as much as possible do those things mindfully and if i'm able to do them mindfully i feel it becomes integrated into my purpose i love that answer thank you so much you're welcome <laughs> it's really powerful i think that'll help people too um so i have a few rapid fire questions for you the first one is what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life mm well, that's a good question too i think it goes back to really around that time i met krishna das and it was something that he had said to me and i i can't really paraphrase what he said because i don't remember the words he used but um when i first met him he invited me actually there was another violinist that played with him as well you know i just met him i had only played with him a couple of times and he invited me to come to a kirtan while she where she was playing i was so amazed at her playing also envious <laughs> and so he spoke to me afterwards and he's like well what did you think what did you think and and i said oh i loved it it was so amazing and i think he could see what was happening to me which was that i was 
feeling like somehow I was diminishing myself. Again, I can't really paraphrase even, but what I got from what he said was this idea of like, whatever you have to offer is also valuable. And this idea that like, we can trust our own voice and that we all have our own voice and that it's relevant and important. And that was some advice I feel like I I got from that conversation with him Mm. and I believed him. (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) So the next question is when you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what's the first thing you do to ground yourself? I try to breathe and do practice. I find the Hanuman Chalisa really helpful for those times. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. So that's probably what I do first. Sometimes I try to lie on the ground, you know, especially on the earth. So those are some of the tools. And then just doing things to take care of myself. What is your favorite hot beverage? A really good spicy chai, probably. But right now I'm I'm drinking like a cup of Greek mountain tea with nettle and ginger. And I'm loving that. It's like a great winter beverage. Is that a thing? Greek mountain tea? It is like a blend. Yeah. Of t- okay. No, it's actually like a, an herb. I've tried to figure out what the English translation of it is, and I'm not sure what it is, but they call it Greek mountain tea in Greece. Okay. Yeah. I think it's related to sage in some way. What would be your last meal on earth? Well, I think my last meal on earth, I would love it to involve all the people that I love and what we actually eat. I don't know if I care that much about that. <laughs> Yeah, that's having an experience, obviously, is better than eating. But (laughs) yeah, but I I mean, there are things I love to eat. And often the foods I love to eat the most are made by people that I love, you know, Oh yeah, there's a certain magic in them. It's true. My dad used to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, and no one could make it as good as he did. And all he did was take out bread and put (laughs) peanut butter and jelly on it. So I don't really know what he put in there. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part of it is non-negotiable for you? Yes, I do have a morning routine and it's kind of shifted with having kids. And what part of it is non-negotiable? Like getting up in the morning is non-negotiable, I guess. (laughs) But until recently, my now four-year-old would like wake up and want to lie with me for like around 45 minutes, just me holding him in bed. And so that was the first the way I started the day. Now he's like waking up and wanting to do other things, but that's just been a recent shift. But so usually my first moments of the day involve being with my kids because they're early risers, (laughs) except actually recently now that they sleep a little later and it's reliable, I've been trying to wake up about an hour before them and do my practice then. Because when they were really, when they were younger, I would do my practice in the evening after they went to bed. And now that's just starting to shift. So I'm trying to wake up, you know, at around five, do my practice and then be there for when they wake up. My morning routine does involve doing some kind of practice, drinking chai. And I also have a big like jar of hot water and lemon. I like to take a hot shower too, if I can. Uh huh. (laughs) Um, Well, tell us about a person who inspires you and why. It's hard to think of just one, but I think at this phase in my life, I'm particularly inspired by women who are examples of being able to integrate and uh, family life, spiritual life and work in the world. I find that inspiring. So I can think of many examples of that, like Lama Sultram's one. I have friends that are doing that actively. So I think that's what I find most inspiring right now. Um, So something people might not know about you. Let's see. I love to canoe. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Canoeing is also one of my favorite things. 
Oh, that's so cool. Where do you canoe? Well, I grew up in Canada in, um, in Toronto. So every summer I would go, um, go to Northern Ontario and go to camp on a lake and canoe a lot. And that's probably some of my first holy experiences in this life were canoeing and being on a lake, the quiet of that. So what are you reading right now? Or is there a book you would suggest that's like one of your go-tos? Right now I'm reading the book about City Moth that Jaya wrote. And I can't remember the title exactly. Do you know it? Shri City Ma. I think, yeah. isn't it called Shri City Ma? Maybe that's what it's called. So I'm reading that, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. And I've been reading it for a while because I've been kind of stretching it out. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a beautiful thing to read. It's, uh, you know, always helpful to read about saints. And that's something Krishna says that like reading about saints helps to build your faith, which mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm attempting to do. We'll put that in the show notes so people can can get it. And I highly recommend it as well. I read it very slowly too. I told Nina I didn't want to finish and she said, you just start again. Oh, good. That's good <laughs> advice. Nina always has great advice. That's true. So what's one thing that is bringing you joy right now in your life? You know, this is like we're in a holiday break right now. So I think, you know, having time with my kids walking places with them. It's been really fun to show them the snow because we live in California, but we've been out east visiting family. And so that was a really joyful experience for me, like sharing that with them. And they were sticking out their tongues and trying to catch snowflakes. And Mm. so (laughs) we were sliding around on ice yesterday. Um, So how can people connect with you online or find out more about your work? I mean, obviously, Home Songs, you can stream wherever you stream. You can stream wherever you'd like to stream it. Um, I have a website as well, which is GenevieveWalkerMusic.com. That's a great way to reach me. I'm also on Facebook. We'll put those in the show notes as well. So we're going to go out today with a song from your Home Songs album called Saints. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And that song is, is dedicated to City Ma. Oh, beautiful. So that's perfect. Did you want to say anything more about it before we go out? Yeah, I mean, that song was inspired um, right around the time that she died. That melody mm-hmm. came to me. And it's, um, you can hear Noah's beautiful playing on it as well. And uh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Paula. It's really been an honor.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. Thank you.